Thank you, Anne. Let me just pray before we reflect on those two parables. Lord, help us to be mindful that we are always in your presence. Help us to be honest before you and with ourselves. Lord, these two parables encourage and challenge. Enable us to hear them as your living word, to guide us in our own walk with you and our place within your, amongst your people. We pray this in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things I particularly value about the Bible is just how realistic it is. It's not a sugar-coated version of aspiration. It doesn't hide the realities of life where things can be unfair, where uh, injustice often prevails and some of the frustrations and the questions that that raises for us. And it certainly doesn't lead us to expect that for those who seek to follow Jesus, to join him on the way, that everything's going to come together and in some way we are kept immune from that messiness and from the uh, things that can characterise our wider world. I was struck, though I'm not going to spend much time this morning, on the uh, first of our readings from 2 Timothy 3, when uh, Paul was saying times will come when those who are trying to be faithful will just find it so hard, it won't be easy. And those who are evildoers just get worse. And I think our news feed on international news and other things in recent times, and you think it couldn't get worse than this, could it? And then we discover, well, apparently it can. And that was speaking as much about our world as it was in the world of Paul's day. Paul's assurance is that God is present and God's revelation in his word and through the ongoing work of the Spirit does provide us with pathways of how to remain faithful and to see how God continues to be at work. I suggested last week that just below the surface of a lot of the types of issues that pastors tend to hear is a deeper question. The deeper question, sometimes or often unspoken but very real, where is God in the midst of what I'm experiencing in life? Where is God as I experience uh, wrongdoers getting away with things? And we pray that God's will will be done. And the Bible does reveal some answers to that. Not always immediate answers of exactly why things happen here and now. But it does give us an awareness of God's continuing presence in the midst of that messy world. And God's purposes will prevail. So I'm going to focus on the two parables that we have recorded in Luke 18, as we just heard from Anne. Here the context is a bit different. Jesus is not speaking to the, um, the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the other religious leaders that have been the backdrop in some of the uh, earlier um, passages we've been looking at in Luke 
14, 15, and 16, the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes have been very much part of the audience and the direction of Jesus' words. But here Jesus is speaking to the disciples, his followers, more immediately. And it's in that context that we need to hear it as words spoken for those who are struggling with those questions of faith. For those who have accepted Jesus' invitation to join him on the way. For Jesus, that journey to Jerusalem. For us, that journey of discipleship, of followers and seeking to be uh, not just fellow travellers, but be of service in that space. Jesus has one main aim, and it's in the first verse. He told him a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray <coughs> and not to lose heart. So as I say, very much directed to those who are prayers, are followers, those who have made that commitment to follow Jesus. And so we have two parables which in one sense seem a little bit different from each other, but both of them feature a question of who is going to be vindicated at the end. So there are questions that are raised as to where is justice to be found, who will be vindicated in that space. Let's explore them one at a time. In the first case, we have an unlikely example put forward by Jesus. Now, there's a number of characteristics of um, how Jesus tends to shape or construct his parables. And one is that from time to time, Jesus points to figures who would be familiar in the world of the audience of the day and says, you can learn something from the most unlikely people. Back in uh, chapter 16, uh, Jesus told a parable about an unjust steward, a bit of a rogue who's about to lose his job. And that would have raised the eyebrows of people saying, we're supposed to learn something from this rogue? Jesus is not commending everything about that rogue, nor is Jesus commending everything about this grumpy, don't trouble me type of judge. But he says there's something we can learn in observing both those types of scenes. So first of all, the role of a judge in the world of Jesus was a uh, critical role that had been implemented um, in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, the role of the judge. In the time of the Old Covenant, if you had a grievance against someone, if you felt as though you had been wronged, your impulse, in fact the social expectation, is that you would retaliate. So the idea is that if you've been wronged, you gather together as many, uh, as much muscle as you can find and you'll go and push back and try and uh, challenge people to pull back and to uh, even to, to um, provide some restitution. Often it didn't do that, it, it escalated. So under the old covenant, the requirement was that set aside some judges in the community, not always men, remember that Deborah was a judge, who are impartial. They are in a space where they are not uh, subject to conflict of interest. 
and let you put your case impartially to the judge and the judge shall determine who is to be believed, who is to be vindicated and who is not. The same was true in Jesus' day. So this role of a supposedly impartial person was in pretty much every village, every community and people would come and make their petition before them. We need to remember that this is not like modern times when we have police force and others who are tasked to uh, provide security. If you have an issue of that nature, you go to the police. Nothing of that was uh, evident in the world of Jesus. So you had to, to do your best to go before the judge, plead your case. And the thing is that it was a a public space. It wasn't in a a private room. It was in the marketplace. It was in the forum. It's actually where we get our word forensic from, for legal matters, is actually from the same root word for forum. Uh, So that the the wider community could hear the, the respective cases and come to their own view and hear what the judgment would be of the, uh, the impartial judge. Now we need to remember this was in the days before there was Netflix or anything of that nature. Um, so very often these occasions when people, plaintiffs would come and make accusations before a judge and uh, the judge would hear the various views before announcing who their belief on vindication was, um, was a public form of entertainment. Judge Judy had a precedent in the ancient world. So we have an example here of a role that's a responsible one in the community, but we have an example of it not really functioning at its best. We have a seemingly grumpy judge dreaming of the prospect of a good wine or something when he can clock off and get home and basically would do his best to try and tell people to go away. And in particular, a woman comes and begs her cause before the judge and others would be watching on as she pleads her case. She's been wronged and she wants uh, justice to be upheld. And uh, the judge is not impressed, wants nothing to do with it. Says, go away. And the example um, is not because he is uh, fairly dealt with it. We're told in the, the narrative He doesn't really care what God thinks, doesn't really care what other people think. He just wants to keep life um, as comfortable for himself. But the woman persists in that space. And this is a scenario that would be lived out in the the vision, in the the, uh, the marketplaces. So it wasn't some strange story of a long distant place. This was the sort of circumstance that people were depending on. So eventually, Jesus says that he has forced to listen to the cause that this widow is making. And uh, for all the wrong reasons, he just says, enough, if it's going to make you go away, whatever, and gives the woman what she wants, to which she rejoices. Then Jesus says, what can we learn about God from that scenario, from this story? You can almost imagine Jesus pausing and the audience is scratching their head saying, "Um, the judge is a grumpy model for God. You know, 
Is, is there some sort of telling us? Now, there's a second clue. I said how Jesus often chooses unlikely characters to learn something from. Not everything about those characters, but just one thing they got right. But the other clue comes in Jesus' parables, and it's a very clear clue. Jesus uses a phrase, and as soon as he starts the phrase, the audience thinks, I know where he's going with this. And the phrase is, how much more will a good judge, how much more will God who is committed to doing what is good and just and right do the right thing? So if for all the wrong reasons this woman managed to get an answer, Jesus is saying, we have much greater confidence in our prayers before a God who we know is committed to doing what is good and right and to hearing our prayers and answers. Even more so, we have absolute confidence that justice will be done. <clears throat> so that is the first of the two parables. And the conclusion, remembering that Jesus is talking to his followers to encourage them in their prayer lives not to give up. So Jesus said, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? So always pray and don't give up. Now I'm pretty confident that all of us have had that experience of asking, we pray, and we're not really clear as to where the answer is. Is God listening? At times we wonder whether our prayers go beyond the walls of the room that we're in. Is God listening? There are two assurances that come by these two parables. The first assurance is that the one to whom we pray is to be trusted. He has promised, he has pledged that we have the invitation to pray, and he will listen. The answer may not always be what we ask. It will invariably be better than what we ask and are mindful of a much more complex and wider world, but God has promised he will hear. So don't give up praying. That's what reminds me to keep continue in prayer. We often look for the, the quick solutions, the quick fix but Jesus says persevering, continuing in prayer is something that is pleasing to God. So if the first question was, is the person to whom we are making our appeal, our petition, willing to listen, the answer is a resounding yes. The second question then becomes, well, but why would God want to listen to me? Surely God has more time for others. Jesus tells a second parable. In this parable, there are two characters. Again, a, a judgment is to be made. Who is to be vindicated and who is to be uh, set aside? Here, the judgment is between the Pharisee, the self-righteous Pharisee, and a tax collector. Now we need to start by stepping back a little bit because we have been so 
schooled from childhood that whenever we know a Pharisee comes onto the stage, we mentally boo and hiss and we hold them at a distance. It's almost like we're doing what the Pharisee does. As we listen to the parable, we think, well, thank God I'm not like that Pharisee over there who's so self-righteous. Oh, hang on, that makes me self-righteous. We need to recognize that in the world of Jesus, the people who took the law of God seriously and wanted to be obedient to do the right thing were the Pharisees. They were well regarded in the community as those who were seeking to live rightly and encouraging others to do so. It's not because he is a Pharisee that Jesus is condemning him. It's his self-confidence that he's making such a good job of observing the law and he's fasting and tithing and doing others that he has a right to stand before God with some confidence, unlike the tax collector. So the contrast between the two is one of posture, but also one of heart and attitude. The tax collector knows the reality of his life, that he has made uh, dreadful decisions. He has been, very often they are corrupt. They were working for the, uh, the foreign invaders. They were collaborators. And he knows that he cannot stand before God. His posture is, well, why would God even have time for me? He can't even lift his head towards heaven. And again, I think it's not hard for us to translate ourselves into this space and think that accusation of hypocrisy, which is one of the great challenges of the evil one against us, who are you to present so well when we come to church? when we all know the secrets of our life, how could we hide those realities from God or even from other people? I think we all know that tension. If people only knew that they would have no time for us. The reality is that God knows. There is nothing we can hide from God in that space. Surely we are all like this tax collector who says, Lord, I am unworthy. I can bring nothing to the table why you should listen to me or respond to me. And in that action, the tax collector is throwing himself upon the mercy and the grace and the compassion of God. And that is exactly what Jesus highlights. The contrast between the two is between that self-confidence that we've pretty much got our spiritual act together, to which Jesus says, really? And those who think, gosh, I've so much more I should be doing. I'm so unworthy. And God says that is exactly the humble attitude of mind that God honours. We don't pretend that we've got everything sorted in our life. As good Anglicans, we confess each week that we haven't. And not us alone, but our wider community. So where is our faith to be found? Where is our confidence in prayer? Where is our confidence that despite our unworthiness, God will still lift us up and invite us to stand tall as a child of God, praying to our Heavenly Father? 
It is our confidence in the character of our God. At the end of our service today, we're not going to have a doxology as such. I'm going to have a clip from uh, St. Peter's Girls School up the road. It's an Adelaide uh, clip. I'm a governor of the board, so I'm extra proud of the whole whole thing. So those who came to the dinner would have seen the clip, the, uh, the 175th dinner. How great thou art. That is where we land in responding to these parables. On the character of God as willingness to hear and to listen and the compassion and grace of God to pick us up, dust us off, stand us tall and count us as one of his people, as worthy as any other because of the work of Christ. Jesus made it quite clear. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified. That is to say, in a right relationship. This man was vindicated because he acknowledged just how much he had got it wrong. For all those who exalt themselves, Jesus said, will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted.